The following program is furnished by Startup Nation Media Group. All right, welcome to this edition of Startup Nation Radio, the show focused on helping you move your dreams into reality as it relates to starting and or growing a business, a successful business of your own. So to do that, we bring on a lot of different subject matter. From time to time, we talk to entrepreneurs who are you know, doing the good work, the hard work, uh, earning it every day and making it happen as it relates to a business of their own. And we talk to experts in the field. And on this show of Startup Nation, we're going we're gonna to venture off course just a little bit and talk to a couple of people who are focused on a specific segment of business, and they're doing it through their involvement in the University of Michigan uh, Ross School of Business. So they're, they're students at University of Michigan, and they started an organization at the Ross School focused on really the specific subject matter of the music business. And with no further ado, we've got Jonathan Heyman and Cassie Alexion with us. So guys, welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, it's good to have you both. And you guys, I mean, you're at the you're at one of the great business schools, I don't need to tell you, in the world, and one of the great schools in the world, the University of Michigan, and specifically the Ross School of Business. So congratulations to you both for that. And you're focused on, you guys have a specific interest in the music business. Tell us first, uh, how about Cassie? Tell us, you know, why the music business? Why did you put specific emphasis on that? And why did you create this organization? Yeah, for sure. So I knew I wanted to go into the business world in some way. So got to the Raw School of Business my freshman year, attended all the club fairs and just saw its offerings and realized that, you know, this environment is super, super finance heavy. And it's really hard to pursue anything outside of finance within that ecosystem. So we sort of set off to start this organization because to be quite honest, there really is no other way to learn about the music business industry at Michigan, which is a crazy concept. Which is unbelievable. Said, of course, right. we're at Michigan and right. Ross, right. amazing schools. But, you know, they just don't really focus so much on the intersection of culture and business. So there was just a very blunt gap in the market in terms of student orgs and classes. And Jonathan and I sort of came together and said, you know what, if we want to learn about this and get more involved in it, we have to take it upon ourselves to create an organization that does that, not only for us, but for other people too. Good for you guys. Well, first of all, it is amazing that the University of Michigan doesn't have, you know, within the business school, any focus on the music business specifically. And there's, of course, there's a great music department at University of Michigan, but that's not focused on business. And so you guys, and and, and so this organization, it's the, uh, Michigan Music Business Club. There was no such thing until the two of you took the initiative to create it, right? Yeah. Jonathan, Jonathan, let me bring you on. Jonathan, you, uh, you, you, the two of you, you and Cassie created this organization. You know, tell us about the the club itself and kind of the activities of the club, what the what the value of the club is to the quote unquote members of the club and so on. Sure. So the Michigan Music Business Club is a club that fosters the success for the next generation of music entrepreneurs whether it's being an agent, an artist manager, an artist themselves. The Michigan Music Business Club provides people who want a sense of community on campus to come together who all have the like-minded interest in music, in the music business specifically. And the way that we really help to spread that message and that why statement is really by hosting educational events to help educate our members about the music industry, not only by just informative meetings, but also through our speaker events 
we've had some really notable speakers over the past year. We've had people from Spotify and Amazon Music. We're about to have the president of Hitco Entertainment, one of the largest labels backed by uh, Epic Records, I believe, and partnered with L.A. Reid. Um, we're about to have Joel Clayman on, I think, tomorrow. And we've just had a lot of notable speakers. And then on top of that, like once the club is just able to meet together in person again and COVID uh, settles down, uh, we look forward to, you know, hosting potentially a huge music festival, just events, just where anybody can attend and just get involved and um, just feel like they have a sense of community on campus just by sharing the love of music. I think it's amazing. And I think the initiative you guys have taken is exemplary. What now, let me ask you this. How many people attend when you have an event like this, whether it's a speaker or whatever the event may be oriented around, what kind of participation are you getting? So we have two types of events. We have closed events, which are only for members within our club. And we have about 65 members in our club. And then for our bigger events, we have open events that are open to the University of Michigan. So our biggest event this year was we had an Amazon Music panel with Sean McMullen, who is the director um, of Amazon Music, and Curtis Postel, who's the global head of marketing at Amazon Music. So two powerhouse mm. um, execs. And for that, we had about 300 people in attendance. Wow. This University of Michigan students. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And, you know, and I think the music business in particular is such a fascinating area of focus because it's, it's, it's in such, I don't know, how do I say this? The, the music business is so fast changing. Just when you think you've got it figured out, you know, there's a, there's another change over here, whether it's licensing rights kind of issues or whether it's, you know, if it's going to be streams or vinyl or, you know, uh, all kinds of maneuvering transactions, mergers, acquisitions. I mean, it is a, it's a lively, it's lively territory for sure. And, and you know what, guys, listen, we're going to run out to a break. When we come back, I'd love to talk about the music business a little bit, why you guys are interested in it, where, if anywhere, you think you might be headed with your own careers within the music business, and, you know, talk about some of the interesting things going on in the music business. So stick with us. We're going to run to a break, and we'll be right back with more on Startup Nation Radio. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. A little bit of a different show today, talking uh, to two students at the University of Michigan Business School, the Ross School of Business at University of Michigan, about an organization they started, an organization focused on business, but focused on a specific business sector, that being the music business. They've started the Michigan Music Business Club. We've got Jonathan Heyman and Cassie Alexi. You guys, uh, you guys are amazing. I mean, I think it's incredible that Michigan didn't have such a focus available to its students. And you took the initiative and you guys made it happen to your credit. Love that. I mean, I, I love that. I think that uh, speaks volumes about who you guys are, what you're all about and where you're headed in the future. Let's do this. We learned a little bit about you in the last segment. In this segment, what I'd love to do is talk about, you know, the music business itself. I know you guys, obviously, in creating this organization, have a personal interest in the music business one way or the other, whether it's your future or whether it's just intrigue. But nevertheless, you guys are interested in the music business. What about the music business? Is it the, is it the art? Is it the culture? Is it the unique nature of the business? Cassie, let's start with you. What's, what's got your attention about the music business? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, the culture and just music itself. I think it's the one thing that can transport you anywhere, anywhere and just match whatever you're feeling. And I think it's therapeutic in that way. So 
just to start off, huge music lover. That's number one. But on top of that, I think, first of all, it's such a quickly changing, fast-paced industry. And I think there's so much more ground that has not been discovered yet. Um, I know we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I think music is just becoming more and more social. And obviously with the pandemic, everything's happening online. So TikTok, being able to record a song, record, you know, anything in your bedroom, upload it to a video and then have the option of, you know, getting millions and millions of hits. Like it's that easy. And I think beyond that, music will just continue to grow to be more of a social thing. And I think there's a lot of room for growth and just exciting developments on the tech side of music. Um, We've seen obviously Spotify disrupt the industry. And I think that's just the beginning. And I think we're really entering a time where this industry is going to completely transform. And we're sort of seeing that already with social media and everything being online. So I think it's just a really exciting place to be right now. You know, Cassie, you hit on something that absolutely has my interest as well as it relates to the music business, and that is the the disruption that has gone on. But I think more than anything, this industry is poised for even more major, more significant disruption as music becomes more democratized. You know, some of the barriers, the intermediaries, the middlemen, however you want to say it, you know, th- those are disintermediated and it's music's closer to the people now and the people are driving it and they have more influence over what they hear, when they hear, or, you know, how they hear their music and lots of interesting and dynamic change is afoot and more, much more significant change to come. That makes a business sector really interesting because all those changes create opportunity. Exactly. And, and that's fun. That's exciting. That's really cool and, and very stimulating and interesting. So I'm right there with you, Cassie. Jonathan, how about for you? I just think that we're entering into the fourth industrial revolution as a society. And that means that we're just going to be introduced to things such as, as you know, blockchain technology, the things that are going on with NFTs and music with music right now, producers and and artists are releasing their albums as NFTs instead of putting it on a digital streaming platform. So NFTs, non, non-fungible tokens, you yeah, know, tied correct. to the blockchain, provides uh, easy verification, transparency, accountability, you know, of, of every transaction and so on and so on, right? I mean, this is what you're talking about. So when you talk about they're going to put it out there as an NFT as opposed to as digital content, what is the essential difference there? And what does that mean? And what does that drive? They're, they're, they're so, so mysterious and enigmatic. You know, people don't really... No, most people don't know what an NFT is yet. It's just kind of come into our our consciousness. But here it is, and you're absolutely right. It's a big deal. What is it about that, and why is it that that's happening? So I think the reason why it is happening is because people, in terms of the digital space, there's so many huge things that have happened. Whether it's Elon Musk tweeting yep. that Tesla stock is he's going to take it private at four hundred twenty dollars a share, the fact that you can sell your tweet and get potentially millions of dollars for that moment that was a piece of history on the internet that's going to transcend everything because now you can literally buy a moment in society jack dorsey's first tweet right exactly 2.5 million for that first tweet yeah it's insane and the fact that now these artists are like musical artists are releasing their projects as nfts and selling them and i think there's a few approaches that can be taken Either they can release a fixed quantity of the project as an NFT, 
So like, for example, like it's as if like, if there was like a physical album sales for like a project, they're only going to produce 10,000 albums. And then instead of you owning the album physically, like in your hands from like the record store, or the CD store, you're getting an NFT. So you own the digital rights to that. And only 10,000 people own that. So it's actually an asset that you can hold on to that will appreciate over time right. rather than something that right. you just throw away. And it records and codifies the ownership so that it's clear. If I sell someone an album and they take it home, a vinyl album, you know, you don't really know who owns that, right? I mean, you might be able to show a store receipt or something, but it still doesn't tie directly to you. You could have resold it. In this case, this clearly indicates who the owner of the rights is or are. And if there's ever a transfer of those rights, it records that as well. So that every transfer, everyone knows at any given time who owns the rights to that piece of that digital work, which is really swings doors wide open for all kinds of new transactions, new kinds of business to happen as a result of that. Yeah, I think also we're seeing now with NFTs, different sort of unlikely partnerships. It's no longer just, you know, musician to musician partnering on a project. We're seeing musicians partnering with graphic designers, just artists in general to sort of bridge the industries and create this NFT. So I think that's also something that's, you know, on the up and coming. Really interesting. Jonathan, did I stop you before you got to, you know, some of the other thoughts you had on what interests and intrigues you about the music business right now? I just think the NFT thing is definitely huge. And I think another thing huge is the rise of data in the fourth industrial revolution Mm. is something that's more prevalent than ever. And I think in the music space, data is the most important thing because you can quantify whether there's quantification and measurability of whether people like a song or not. And I think that is going to completely change the whole way that record labels and companies go about finding the next artist that they're going to sign. How might change be manifested, for example, directly because of that? So I think for years and years, how the music industry worked is initially there'd be a manager and an artist and the manager would be connected to a record label executive that would just sign an artist. They'd probably take like 30 meetings a month and they'd probably sign like three artists. So back in the day, you would go and play like a vinyl record for the president of Motown Records, like Barry Gordy. And then if he liked the record, then he'd sign you to a record deal. But now there's more artists putting out music than ever. I think there's like 65,000 songs being put out a week on digital streaming platforms. And there's so much content that it's just really hard to quantify and measure which release is the right one to sign. Like who out of these 60,000 people should I select? And I think that's where data and metrics are really going to come into play because these songs that are released, there's a measurability of how much people really are engaging with those songs and liking those songs. And that can be measured and organized to predict the next generation of artists. Amazing. So I think that from this point on, like from today and for the rest of time, record label executives aren't going to be using their own ears to listen to music and say, oh yeah, since I think this is it, this is going to be the biggest record because that's how it used to work. But now it's going to be because all these people like this song because it's something that can be measured on the internet this is going to be the big record. So instead of it being based on the big executives deciding that this is going to be something huge, it's going to be everybody else's decision. Because at the end of the day, music is for the people and not for the big companies to decide who becomes famous. 
I think that is one of the most interesting and dynamic changes happening in the music business right now. It's it's happening slowly, uh, but it's not like it's happening in one fell swoop, but it's happening. There's no question there are pieces, platforms like TikTok, you know, access to markets, access to people, access to the people, uh, as you just said, you know, that now is at the fingertips of artists and artists can break literally now overnight and without huge, you know, multi-million dollar marketing budgets if they've got the right product on the right platform at the right moment and and if it catches fire through skill and through, uh, you know, there's no question through some degree of luck and being there and the whole thing. But these things are happening and it's so dynamic and so interesting. Listen, guys, can I ask you to hang? We're going to run to a break. Can I, can I take, you know, five more minutes with you guys uh, on the other side of this yeah, break? Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's do that. We're going to run to a break on Startup Nation Radio can't get enough we're coming back with more with jonathan and cassie right after this break okay welcome back to startup nation radio we've got more with jonathan Heyman and cassie alexi university of michigan business students at the ross school of business and uh, they're credited with starting the michigan music business club really amazing you guys really are on top of what's happening in the music business the changes that are afoot right now and so on it's such a dynamic and interesting space I wanted to ask you each, though, on a lighter note, let's do this. Cassie, let's go to you first. If you're at lunch with your really good friend and your friend's got some, you know, some interest in being a musician, an artist, and says to you, given all the changes going on, Cassie, I want to launch my career. What advice do you have for me? Tell me, how do I become a star? I think the biggest and most important thing when you're starting off is just put out content, put out a ton of content. That way you'll be able to learn just through your own numbers, what works and what doesn't. It's not really so much of a thing where like you're waiting and waiting to release like one epic solid album. There are so many epic solid albums. You need to just really keep cranking out content, keep cranking out songs. I actually just finished reading this book written by Ross. Um, who sort of followed this method of just releasing a song every week for three years straight. And mm. somewhere along the line, maybe two and a half years in, people started really following him and he grew his following and people started looking forward to these weekly drops. And, you know, some were successful and some weren't, but through trial and error, here we are five years later with Russ being, you know, a big musician, right. he was able to figure out what his style was, who his audience was, what worked and what didn't. Really interesting. So there you go. I mean, that's actually something new. I'm so glad we were able to, you know, draw out of you. And that's interesting advice. So get content out there, make it regular, maybe do the once a week thing, whatever it is. But unlike before, where you had to go into a recording studio and produce an album, you know, and that was the thing. So this big push to get the album out. Now what you're saying is, hey, if you come up with a great song this weekend, get it out there, right? Get it on the platforms. Where would, yeah. you, where would you put it, by the way, Cassie? Where, where, when you say get it out there, where does it go? Everywhere, I think. You need to really just hit every point. I mean, give, me, give me top DSPs, three. Top three. Spotify, yeah. Apple Music, TikTok. Okay. Tick, Start I, marketing yep. on TikTok. Yeah. Yep. That's probably first. Yep. Right on. Jonathan, let me ask you the same question. Jonathan, somebody asked you. I want to, I want to be a musician. I want to be an artist. How do I, how do I get noticed? How do I launch my career? How do I become somebody? How do I become a star? So I think the first step is taking whatever money you have and getting a setup to record music on your own. Learn how to make music in your bedroom and just scale yourself up. So then when you're in the position where you need to improve your studio, like the quality of your music 
and just like have more resources and bigger teams around you that just comes with time so like just putting out a song every week putting out content and just figuring out what works and what doesn't for you and just working to expand yourself across all platforms and not forgetting like things like TikTok and Twitter and Instagram posting and trying to create a fan base and interacting with people and just seeing what works and what doesn't. So like, I think just the first step is just getting a foundation for your career by like being a do-it-yourself artist. Then once you have your music already out, you use a distributor such as DistroKid where you keep 100% of your royalties or mm -hmm. TuneCore, mm -hmm. where you can just put out music to every platform. And if you do that once a week, and then also like we're about to see a huge rise of SoundCloud.com. I think they're going to be the biggest digital streaming platform and they're going to end up beating really? Spotify and mm -hmm. Apple Music because what they've done is they've created a system where the royalty payments to their artists, to artists that distribute through SoundCloud Premier it's ratioed based on the amount of times they listen to artists. So if you listen to a specific artist and that's the only artist that you listen to and you pay $10 a month for their subscription, all your subscription money is literally just going to that artist only. So I think they're just going to change the game for independent artists and for artists that are just coming up making music because of the way that they're structuring their company. They're literally leading the way and creating a place for do-it-yourself artists to just post their music and just create a following. I love that. I love that. Well, listen, you guys are fascinating. To your credit, you formed this organization, and, and uh, it's a great one at University of Michigan. And uh, love what you guys are doing. I, I wish we had more time. We're going to run to another guest right now. But thank you so much for sharing your stories and the story of the Michigan Music Business Club. Jonathan Heyman and Cassie Alexi, thank you guys. Thank, thank you. you for having us. All right, moving right along with our theme of focusing on business, specifically the music business is what this show is all about. And continuing with the theme, we've got another guest who's uh, created a startup company that's just really in a sweet spot right now. We're thrilled to have Eric Nelson on, co-founder of FanFlex. Eric, welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Uh, thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, happy to be here and uh, excited to talk to you more about, you know, what we're all about and everything going on. All right. Well, we're excited to hear about it. Now, you know, as I said, you guys are right in a sweet spot. I want to hear about how the company came about. First, tell us what you're calling in from Los Angeles. That's where you guys are based, right? That is correct. Calling in from L.A. All right. Right on. So tell us what FanFlex is. So FanFlex is a music tech startup that allows local venues to upload their concert calendar and availability dates so that performing musicians can fill those time slots with live paying fans. And this is a unique opportunity, you know, in a pre-pandemic world because obviously there's a lot of need to maximize, you know, the revenue as a small business owner booking live music on a nightly or weekly basis. And we solved that problem for the venue, giving musicians a lot of opportunities to succeed and grow in their career. Okay, that Eric, let me understand. So when the I love the concept. So uh, venues got space; they've got the ability to uh, sell tickets, put on a performance. It's good for the artists, good for them, good for people who get to enjoy it. It all works. But I want to understand: is this for live performances, or does the performance is the performance uh, experienced online? It's a hundred percent live. 100% live. So this is live performance. Yes, it's 100% live. And think of like a hotel tonight or Airbnb or an Orbitz, any of those deal sites yeah. that you can get like a last minute hotel or last minute flight for a good rate. We do the same thing, but for the live music business. So just as easy it is for the Hilton to upload their empty rooms, 
venues could upload their empty inventory, which is time slots. And because the hard costs are the same, just like a plane going from LA to New York, you know, the more people that can put on that plane, it's more profitable, right? Because the cost of the jet fuel doesn't change, the cost of the staff doesn't change. So like a, you know, a restaurant, the bar staff, the door person, you know, if there's an audio person working, all those hard costs are the same, whether they have three acts or five acts performing. And so we help maximize and fill out their nightly music. Exactly. It's kind of like a restaurant buffet. You pay to put the food on the thing. And if one person eats it, that's your take. If 100 people eat it, that's your take. But you've made the food. You put it out there. I get it. That's that's great. I love the model. Let me understand. So when the venue puts up its availability, are they putting it up for a specific concert? Or is it the kind of thing where an artist could say, I want to plug in. There's an open date here. I want to plug in here. And then fans can plug in and say, you know, I want to, I see there's open opportunity to attend this event. Is it for both sides or are you putting up concerts that are already specifically booked? Yeah, so it is the open inventory that shows up on our site. The venues give us the, or upload or give us the time slots they're looking to fill. That usually is a, you know, last minute in our industry is let's say two to four weeks. We have had it, you know, just last week, someone said, hey, someone dropped out for Saturday. Can you get somebody? You know, and so we sent it out to, you know, our artist database. They can see those time slots available. But these real opportunities, it's not, if you want to play here, you may be able to perform. No, it's, here's an open time slot. If you meet the parameters that set by the venue, you know, genre restrictions, uh, et cetera, you can play. Okay, now is this, so then this would be, as you've described it, a tool for artists to use to get themselves booked into the venues and for venues to use to get interesting artists booked into the live performances on their open dates. Love that. What about targeting the um, people who want to attend? Are you all, is there also a component there? Yeah, so we feel that from our end, not really. Okay. So the artists, once they get that time slot, it is their responsibility to promote the show. And what Got we've it. done, we've found that, the value in that hustle because a musician is going to promote their show to their friends and family and fans nonetheless. But what we've created is a direct fan to band or band to fan ticketing platform. So the artist can sell tickets directly to their fans, keep a hundred percent of the money. So now their hustle really directs their pocket, right? So that motivation is good for the venue because now the venue knows people are coming and they don't have to worry about coming out of pocket, taking a risk on a talent fee, it's direct, you know, fan to band payments and the venue doesn't need to settle. They could just take hundred percent of the food and beverage. And that's honestly, most of the venues we work with, which we've labeled kind of tier one in our book is you're a restaurant, you're a bar and your main business model is food and beverage. However, you obviously have live music as an environment uh, vibe kind of experience. And that's just eating away at your time and, you know, bottom line because you're taking risks on acts that don't guarantee a fan base you know, no saying that, sure. you know, they bring zero people here All right. and now you're just losing money. All right. Really, really interesting. So now we understand what the business is. You've come up with this business model. We're going to run to a break. When we come back, Eric, what I'd like to do is learn where you are today. Is this a proven model or still in the idea phase? And then we want to learn how you got it all off the ground. It's one thing to have an idea, but you need to build it into a business, a business that ultimately makes money and works for those involved and delivers on its value proposition. That's a handful. That's a handful, Eric. We know we can count on you. You're going to give us the goods right after this break on Startup Nation Radio. 
All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. Today's theme is all about the music business. We talked to a couple of young people who started an organization at the University of Michigan to have kind of a, a club to bring in speakers, uh, learn about the music business, get people inspired, get them informed, maybe get them pointed toward a career in the music business. That was fascinating. We're following that up with another fascinating interview. We've got Eric Nelson. He's the co-founder of a new company called FanFlex. He's getting it up and off the ground and on his way to success. Well, it begs the question, Eric, first, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. Yep, thanks for having me back. Hey, good to have you on. The question that it begs is, you have this great idea, and you really do. I think it's a very intriguing idea. Where does it stand? Is it a business yet? Is it still in the idea stage? Tell us where you are. Uh, absolutely. So uh, let's start with like pre-pandemic. So we are based out of Southern California, Los Angeles, and Orange County. And we had 40 venues pre-pandemic in the Los Angeles kind of OC market and had been done proof of concept. It worked. We had a minimal viable product and we were doing shows. We had some marquee venues like the Viper Room all the way down to like, you know, dive bars and coffee shops sure. um, that need, you know, need our help. Let me just ask a quick question in the model. What point do you get paid? What's the revenue model? So we get paid by venue membership uh, is our main driver of income. So if a venue uses us, it's a freemium model. So if they use us once or twice a month, costs you nothing. We're here to help keep the live music ecosystem alive and businesses, you know, up and running. However, we start filling up your whole entire calendar and you feel that, you know, this is a excellent tool for you and you pass that along to us and it's a monthly service fee. Okay, right on. So getting this company off the ground and I, and I interrupted you, you were telling us where you are. The reason I interrupted you is that obviously a business becomes a business when it starts to make money. Uh, are you in the revenue earning phase at this point then? Or have you proven that part of the model? Uh, yes. So then for COVID, we actually postponed all fees for venues and we don't plan to return that back on until at least October, maybe not until 2022 even. So we understand the need that if these small businesses go out of business, there's nowhere to play for these artists that we have. And we have over 5,000 artists on our platform. There's nowhere for them to play. And so we realized that to keep our business alive, we're going to just postpone charging again. And so our burn rate is really low. We have a tight team and, you know, now with virtual, we've been uh, organizing ourselves just, you know, online and having our meetings. So even our expenses has, has dropped. Let me underscore a couple of things you've said that I really, really love about the way you're going about this. One, you know, you say you're postponing the revenue, but the reality is what is happening either inherently or by design is that you are proving to your customers, your you know, one side of the customer equation, that being the venues that you can deliver a service for them. And if you can show them that you can fill up, as we said, you know, you make the buffet, you put it out there. In this case, the artist gets booked. They've got seats in the room. If they can fill them, they make more money off that event than they otherwise would. You can deliver that for them potentially. And if you do, you prove your model, you become critical to their business. And so, you know, whether they're paying right now or they're not paying right now becomes less important because if you can show them that you bring value, if they pay you 10 and make 100, it's going to be more than, you know, and I'm just using those numbers figuratively, you become very important to them and they will pay you. Uh, so I love that. Uh, I love that very much. The other thing you talked about is how you're keeping your burn rate low. The fact that you either have a low burn rate again inherently or whether by design, that's the way you've designed the business. It's brilliant because in these tough times, you know, burn rates will kill you. You won't get to the promised land if you've got a big burn rate and you'll be forced to do things like open up your revenue model too early instead of first proving your value and, you know, getting a lot more revenue on the back end uh, of that effort. So, so far, man, I'm with you. I'm in. I'm in, Eric. Awesome, yeah. Yeah. So our idea was 
maybe like in 2016, we didn't really start doing stuff until about 2018. You know, with your fan label and other things, getting apps off the ground is kind of a tedious task. So what are you talking uh, about? It's, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, yep. So it was a piece of cake uh, for a few years. <laughs> right. Right. And so then in 2019, we got accepted into project music. Uh, it's put on by the country music association and the entrepreneurial center of Nashville. So what that did was it allowed us to enter into a new market, and that was Nashville, Tennessee, where we set up shop for over a year up until the pandemic. We were going there once a month. Uh, we had a little uh, co-op office space, and my plane ticket for March 20-something in 2020, that was canceled, and that was the last time I went to uh, Nashville was uh, in 2020. Sure. So that being said, in that year, year plus that we were operating in Nashville as a new test market, so we had proven that we worked in our hometown right? That was easy. Then we onboarded about 10 to 12 venues in Nashville. And then we were doing shows in Nashville with our minimal viable product. And then we were breaking at the scenes. And we realized that this is working. We can replicate it in other cities. And so the, the next task was, okay, well, let's stick to these music markets. So let's go to Austin, Texas next. So let's go to New York. And then the pandemic hit. And obviously, you know, what happens there. And we realized that we're going to stick to this live business. We're not going to pivot. We're not going to go virtual. We believe in what we're doing, but what's going to change is we're going to go after all the small little venues that need us the most. And so we actually started going into Mississippi, Alabama, all these places in the Southeast that, you know, we're a little bit more open. Obviously, Florida, we ended up having a boom in Florida. We're across a number of different cities in Florida now. We have a couple of shows in Florida tonight, actually. So, Things are going really well over there, and then we started to expand. And that's kind of where we are now is we've proven that we work in the, the big cities that have a big, solid music scene where you have a bunch of musicians and a bunch of music venues. And now we're proving that it works in these, you know, secondary, mm -hmm. tertiary markets where, you know, it's not an established music scene. You know, it's not a cool downtown Detroit music scene. It is, you know, little town USA with a handful of musicians and a couple of honky-tonk bars. Right. But there's still value and need for those more than ever because... More than ever. They don't have that budget to detain artists. They don't have, you know, every minute their lights are on is yeah. a risk now to their business survival. Yeah, yeah. Eric, I love what you're doing. I actually love the business model. There's a huge need for it on both sides of the equation, artists and venues. I think it's really, really interesting. And you are proving the model. What's the competitive playing field like? So there's a number of different people like playing in our space. I, I don't think anyone does it like we do with um, some of our fan analytics and, and data options for on the artist side, which we could get into later. But overall, let's just say like the so far sound of the world, mm -hmm. right? Yep. They're solving a problem for musicians. Like, hey, you need a place to play. It's hard to get a place to play. And so FanFlex does that too, right? We get artists a chance yep. to play places they may not have had a chance to play. However, with like so far sounds, which is a great company, and I think there's a need for it, but they're operating in private residencies and, and yep. non-traditional places right. where we're really focused on brick and mortar spots. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't need to bring in production to play a FanFlex show. You don't need to carry a PA system, et cetera, which you do it so far. Right, right, right. We're here to make both sides of that coin work for the venue and for the artist. So that's like that's the one good company that's doing really well with what they're doing, but that's where we're separate in this space. That's really great. We've got a couple minutes left. I want to hit on a couple other things. One, I want to know your background. What led you to the, you know, being positioned to 
come up with this very compelling business idea? So my background is the last 20 years, uh, I just turned 40. So my, the last 20 so years mm-hmm. of my life, I've been working in concert production, special events, touring, and I've worked with the love, uh, artists of the highest level. Uh, to this day, again, for all those entrepreneurs out there and startup owners, there's a side hustle too. So I still gig from time to time. So I just did the Super Bowl in Tampa. I just did the Grammys here in LA. And so I work wow. with the artists at a very high level and production at a very high level. And I try to take those learning points, like the A-list artists, the tools that they have. How can I bring that to everyday do-it-yourself musicians and everyday do-it-yourself mom-and-pop venues around the country? Incredible. First of all, I love that the idea came from someone who's in the business that recognized the need, recognized the opportunity like you have. You know the business. You're in the business deep. And that puts you in position to be able to come up with this idea and execute it. Is this, do you see this in the 30 or four so seconds we have left? Do you see this as your future? Are you now bought in? You believe this is it? Yeah. So over, I mean, a little bit before the pandemic, my business partner, John, who comes from um, music venue and restaurant ownership, he gets it too on that end. And together we really just went all in, especially during the pandemic. You know, for me, when there's no gigs around, it's been a hundred percent and it's proven itself. And yeah, that's my future. Uh, FanFlex is the future. Wow. Right on. We wish you the best of luck. I got a really good feeling about this one. Uh, I really do. I think you're going places and it's going to be an exciting ride. Hey, thanks for sharing your story, Eric, on Startup Nation Radio. Thank you for having me. And if any venues are interested in being a part of this, you could email venues at fanflex.com or go to our website to sign up. We'd love to have you. What's the website address, Eric? We'd love to send them to you. Fanflex.com is the the main website. And then there's a tab for venues. Uh, You can click on that and there should be a sign up page. Right on. Let's hope we drive lots of traffic for you. And thanks for sharing your story. Back next week with more Startup Nation Radio. The preceding program was furnished by Startup Nation Media Group.